0: Hello, welcome to the Healing of Emotional Wounds podcast series. My name is Alan Mulhern. I'm a Jungian psychotherapist working in London, UK. First, some announcements. Those of you who wish to study the material of these podcasts in more detail may refer to my book, Healing Intelligence, The Spirit in Psychotherapy, Working with Darkness and Light. Those of you who are Spanish-speaking, and I know there are some Spanish-speaking listeners, who are following it in English, but who would appreciate reading it in Spanish, may be interested to know that there is a translation into Spanish and it's available as an e-book or Kindle. The Spanish title is La Inteligencia de Sanación, which could be very useful for those of you who wish to ponder this material more deeply. Secondly, I mentioned at the beginning of a recent podcast that this series of podcasts, would be ending in January. And a new series, much longer, would be beginning, which is a quest for vision. It'll be a search for vision across the ages, but particularly with contemporary visionaries who are offering deep insight, but also perspectives and sometimes solutions on the current crisis. We examine a very wide range from philosophers of science to biologists and physicists, economists, political theorists, political activists. And we look at the multi-dimensional crises which we are living with great urgency in our own times. This will be the focus of the series. We examine the visionaries not just for curiosity, but see how they can help us in an age of crisis. And the main purpose is for participants to formulate their own vision and reading the great visionaries or hearing them sometimes we listen to composers for example like beethoven or look at great artists they'll be part of our series as well as well as writers then we can see how they responded to the crisis of their own times and that may help us face the crisis of ours our crises are not identical of course but there are some similarities and now to the subject in this podcast It is often said that therapists should have empathy. But what is this capacity to enter into the emotions of others and feel things from their point of view? And are there different grades or qualities of empathy? This podcast will provide a perspective to this important question. I will use the scan as a format for examining empathy in detail. The original title of this podcast was Synergistic co-experience in the intersubjective field. What a mouthful! Yet, it expresses exactly what is being communicated. There is a co-experience, a joint, shared experience between therapist and client. It is an intersubjective field in which there is a psychological, temporary, close sharing. Perhaps for some moments a unity between client and therapist, and it is synergistic. That is, there are unexpected gains from the joint endeavour. The joining together of forces produces more than the isolated sum of its parts. The ability to contact the deeper layers of the psyche is then of great benefit to the healing process. The resonance of the therapist, his or her knowledge of the healing field, helps the client in this experience. It is argued here that there may emerge some unusual features once the intersubjective field is activated. A field is an area of influence, and a shared field is where two psyches, apparently separate, have temporarily dropped their boundaries, and a non-verbal sharing of experience, sometimes in the form of images, sometimes with voices or sometimes feelings, take place. This is a manifestation of healing, not belonging to an individual psyche. It is the intelligence that organises the field itself. Synergistic possibilities, the joint potential of the deep psyche of both therapist and client, are potentially constellated, thus augmenting the healing experience. Constellation is when a group or a cluster are formed. For example, groups of stars may form constellations, and groups of complexes. individual elements of the deep psyche may also be constellated in the therapeutic process. It is normal in depth psychotherapy to talk of the importance of empathy, intuition and counter transference. However here it is the quality of resonance of the therapist that is the key. This requires that therapists quieten their mind and align to the healing intelligence of the field between them and their clients. In the work described here They may resonate in their imaginal bodies to the distress, complexes, and also healing potential within the psyche of the client. They may pick up images, sometimes feelings, voices, or sounds, which are symbols of the client's suffering and healing intentionality. Different levels of resonance are possible. Firstly, resonance at distance. This describes the client entering the deeper psyche Constellating a question or a problem, engaging with the deeper psyche while the therapist is not participating in the client's descent and not receiving any images. Secondly, resonance through inter-reaction. Here the client may communicate with the therapist during the experience, thus allowing the possibility of participation, perhaps through questions or suggestions. Thirdly, empathic resonance. Here the therapist has entered into the descent and is picking up images or symbols that closely parallel the inner experience of the client in a general way. Let me give you an example. Susan, I'll call her, comes to therapy with the dream of a horse that has been injured. Instead of giving an interpretation of the dream, she is encouraged to seek the meaning within herself. She closes her eyes, breathes calmly, enters a meditative state, then focuses on the area of her body, in this case her solar plexus, where she feels this horse image to be. In her inner world, she returns to childhood, a period in which she loved horses and used to go riding with her father. As a teenager, her love became confused. She became distant and turned away from him. During this scan, she becomes aware that the love of her father is buried within her, and without it, her sense of identity has become lost. She behaves as if she is injured. The therapist, meanwhile, in close resonance, feels her distress and confusion in his own chest, yet becomes aware of a warmer feeling in the heart. Some comments on this case study. Here we observe a general resonance. Responding empathically in the deep psyche with a general similarity of feelings and images. Fourthly, intersubjective resonance. Here therapist and client are partially intersubjectivized. The upper layer of their personalities, ego consciousness, is largely suspended. Although more in the client than the therapist, who has to remain in both camps. The descent of the therapist is only a partial suspension of ego consciousness, since he or she must remain with one foot in the conscious or phenomenal world. The personal unconscious of the client has brought a complex for exploration, and healing intelligence of the deeper psyche is activated. With respect to the therapist, the personal unconscious is not interfering, that is, no personal complexes are activated in the therapist then the deeper psyche is activated. The therapist may then receive images that very closely resemble those in the client's deep psyche, with no verbal exchange between them. In some cases, the therapist may receive deeper images than the client's, and may anticipate the movement of the client's psyche, its healing intentionality, or entelechy. This is the Aristotelian notion mentioned in an earlier podcast, of actualization, the inner purpose of things. Transmission across the field is possible. Those who want to study this further might look at another healing discipline called craniosacral therapy, where the interaction between practitioner and client is based on such ideas and practices. This intersubjective resonance is not exactly two-way. Since the client and the therapist are concentrating on the resolution of the client's own suffering, not the therapist's. The therapist is therefore attuned to the client's personal unconscious, not the other way around. The following case study gives a flavour of how this works. John was in therapy for three months before he tried this type of inner work, here called a scan. He is concerned that he might never be able to love his girlfriend since he has been unable to get over the loss of his first love. He feels damaged and points to his heart. In his scan, I have rapid access to firstly painful feelings in my heart, and secondly to a number of images. The first of these is a pump on the floor of a ship, under pressure, and I wonder if it will do the job of clearing the water. The second is of a young child in a nursery who is crying for his mother. John did not communicate verbally in the scan, but in the subsequent debriefing, he told me that he had a direct image of his heart, and that it was beating irregularly and seemed to be suffering. He next had an image of himself talking to his mother, but then of her fading away in the distance, leaving him in pain. Comments Here we observe the close similarity of the series of images in therapist and client. Pumps, hearts pressure, suffering, mother, etc. The symbols seem to constellate across the field synchronistically. In this case, we have the additional information, not known to myself before, that he had an early attachment problem with his mother, deeply affecting and limiting his capacity to love. In summary, the connection of therapists to their own healing intelligence is of great benefit to clients' progress. Four points of focus have been suggested for the psychotherapist at this stage, characterised as the alignment of consciousness to the unconscious of the client. These are, firstly, to help the client attune to the unconscious. The more the therapist is attuned, then the easier it is for the client to find a way of being so. Secondly, to help the client express complexes and emotional pain. Thirdly, to help clear out negative attitudes such as self-pity or depressive tendencies, impeding clear access to the deeper material. Fourthly, to help locate the healing energy lying in the psyche of the client. And for this, the quality and resonance of the healing energy of the therapist is crucial. Finally, there is no progress without the therapist's personal experience of these healing methods. They cannot be simply read and applied. The wounded healer is a common metaphor in the healing professions it expresses a truth that those who turn to healing as a profession do so frequently because they are wounded themselves. Therapists have to continually work on their own wounds in order to be able to help their clients. Their work should not be an excuse to avoid their own problems. We have suggested different levels of resonance that exist between client and therapist. Resonance at distance, resonance through interaction, empathic resonance and intersubjective resonance. While I have described the above through the means of the scan, of course it is perfectly possible to have different levels of resonance in psychotherapy without resort to such a method. Empathy of various degrees is a natural phenomena and therapists may experience all these levels with reference to their own sensitivities or methods. Jung's method of active imagination is very similar to what I described. The advantage of the scan method from my point of view is that it gives a form or structure to the descent into the unconscious, encouraging therapists to activate not only this process in their clients, but also in themselves. It encourages the therapist not only to confront the unconscious directly, but to work within it, so to speak, rather than simply analyse it from a distance. This activates the healing energy and the transcendent function as described by Jung. Analysis prepares the ground, but the seeding and flowering of the healing requires an active participation by therapist and client. I next wish to pass to the subject of obstacles to healing intelligence. There are many impediments to healing, stretching from ignorance of its possibility to outright despair. I'm going to list 12 obstacles But I'm sure other practitioners could add more. So common and extensive is this phenomenon. Obstacle one. The conscious mind is attached to its repressive apparatus and apparent dominance and control. This is a major block to healing. One of the main tasks of psychotherapy and spiritual experience intent on deep work is to self dismantle this dominance. That is to allow the influence of the self big ass, to reshape personality. At this point, the ego and its defences weaken, and it may become possible for inner feelings and a voice to emerge. The ego has to abdicate, at least temporarily. It is customary for psychotherapists and counsellors trained in psychoanalytic theory to believe that repression applies only to anxiety, emotional pain, and the like. However, it is a startling thought that healing intelligence is also repressed by consciousness and the ego. It is as if there is an active filter and repressive mechanism at work which opposes and undoes it. Why? Because healing intelligence will disrupt the prevailing status quo of the ego, including its need and custom to organise itself around anxiety. Secondly, there are parts of the psyche that resist being healed. Complexes can present major difficulties in even being brought to consciousness, never mind their resistance to change. Even after transformative work has been done, they can still reassert themselves. They seem to have wills of their own. The view that the psyche consists of different parts, some promoting and others resisting healing, is useful at this point. Third obstacle to healing. The subject, the client, may not be ready for healing in all its aspects. There may be an ability to listen and align to the deep psyche, but the capacity to integrate its material and engage in character reform may be limited. To facilitate greater understanding of this point, the total psychotherapy process has here been broken down into four stages, with the last stage of integration divided into three parts. Previous podcasts argue and illustrate by case studies how problems at any juncture may impede growth and transformation. Fourth obstacle to the operation of healing intelligence. The depth of some wounds makes healing difficult, sometimes impossible. The wound that won't heal. They may only be modified or tolerated. When wounds cannot be healed at a deep level then other areas of the psyche need to be strengthened, so the impact of the wound is lessened. This clearly takes time and can generate resistance. For example, a deep wound to the sense of self may, in some cases, be compensated for only by the development of a spiritual dimension to the psyche, which may generate its own set of resistances. Fifth obstacle. It is difficult to face one's real suffering. A depression tends to shield the subject from real pain, but thereby worsen the sense of malaise. Frequently, there are other emotions underlying the depression, such as anger or despair, that are difficult to bear. Their persistence impedes healing intelligence. Sixthly, many people do not know the way out of their emotional pain or lack help. They may live in a culture where access to the inner world is not encouraged. They may have a value system which is excessively orientated to achievement and worldly success. Spiritual values may be absent, distorted or even persecuted. The cultural milieu is very influential. The dominance of economic systems with great emphasis on wealth, science, technical training and reason can militate against the very notion of healing intelligence that escapes ego consciousness and its assumed control. The seventh obstacle to healing intelligence. Healing might entail changing social relationships, and this can be difficult. As healing is generated, changes in character, attitudes, and values follow. This may require different relationships with friends and family, and in more radical circumstances, it may require moving on entirely. Eighth obstacle. Healing challenges addictions, and clearly the resistance to giving up one's addictions can be very powerful. 9. Healing requires energy, and in the case of depression, this is precisely what is lacking. 10. The loss of loved ones may cause wounds that are difficult to heal, because the subject holds onto the suffering as the only remaining connection to the lost person. To be healed feels as if to lose the loved one. Resistance to healing, therefore, appears like a form of love. Eleventh, deep wounds may require a transpersonal healing energy, which is not commonly available. And twelve, defences, as elaborated by psychoanalysis, are mechanisms to defend from anxiety or pain. Anna Freud... Sigmund Freud's daughter, in 1937, explained a large number of these on a spectrum from pathological to mature defences. Defences can be embedded deep in the personality and are often totally unconscious. They are an obstacle to healing intelligence and the alignment to the deep psyche. In short, resistance to healing and growth can be pervasive and deep-rooted. This is more than just the result of repression, but includes a variety of factors, internal and external, collective and individual, even social and economic. Working with this phenomena of resistance is core work for practitioner and client. These obstacles illustrate the obvious difficulty of undertaking the healing journey alone. In summary... Healing intelligence is a multifaceted presence throughout the psyche, as it is in the body. While there may be one ultimate source underpinning it, its manifestation and operation reside in multiple centres. Healing intelligence takes place both unconsciously or consciously and can be activated in a number of ways. There are many obstacles and resistances to healing intelligence, which are inevitably encountered in any serious transformation process. Ego consciousness plays a variable part throughout this drama. Its active participation is part of the full healing process. There is a Jungian tradition that healing comes from the self. However, viewing the psyche in three parts consciousness, personal unconscious and collective unconscious it appears that healing intelligence is contained in all parts. It is undoubtedly true that the self, in the collective unconscious, is the most powerful healing source. But also the personal unconscious, containing personal complexes, has its own healing centres. Many case studies have been given of where the centre of suffering in the body, containing the complex, if approached correctly, can undergo a healing and transformation process. In addition, consciousness itself has healing components within it. While the ego and its defences can block and filter the deeper psyche and healing impulses, inner awareness, like meditational awareness, is a portion of consciousness turned inwards in a pure, non-judging manner. This part of consciousness, only activated when the rest of the mind is still, switched off, exhausted or incapacitated, can look inwards at its own complexes and sufferings so they can express themselves and heal. It also can invoke and allow healing intelligence from the deepest areas of the psyche, the collective unconscious, to help this process. All three major parts of the psyche, therefore, are involved in healing intelligence. And it is in their unified operation, in the wholeness of their functioning, that the full power of healing lies.